Good to see you all here this morning. I'm Ed Glaze, one of the pastors, and when I saw that it was going to be rainy and cold, I said, you know, Methodists don't like to get wet. You know, they think they're going to get rebaptized or something, so they're not going to show up today, but you all did. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in online as well. It's an honor and a privilege to worship with you today. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that is the scriptures read and proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you would say to us today. Amen. Some of y'all look old enough, you know, looks can be deceiving, but some of y'all look old enough to remember the old Calgon bath liquid commercials. Some of y'all, some of y'all remember those things, and, and yeah, that's exactly right. You, you might remember the, the commercial started with some woman of the house being frantic and harried. The dog was barking. The phone is ringing. Why was it attached to the wall? I don't understand that. But you, anyways, the phone was there on the wall ringing. The dog was barking. She was, her hair was all messed up. She, she looked frantic. And she said, you know what she said? Calgon, take me away. <laughs> And then the, the scene changes, and there's this announcer with this deep voice saying, lose yourself in luxury. And there she is in this bubble bath with pearls on, and her hair looks just perfect. And she says, it's paradise. <laughs> yeah, some of y'all might remember that. Some of y'all. Look, look some of the commercials up. They will make you laugh for sure. And, you know, Calgon products are still for sale. I saw them in Walmart just the other day. But I haven't seen those commercials lately. Have you? I mean, they, they're kind of fun to, to look at. But the question I have to ask you is, um, where do you go away to? Where do you say, take me away? Where, where do you go? And, and there are a lot of y'all that have moved up here into these beautiful mountains because this is a place you get away to, Right? You may have started vacationing up here and then say, boy, you know, it'd be great if I could live up here. And son of a gun, you are. And what, what a great and beautiful place to get away to because there's really not many too, too many places that are more beautiful than these Blue Ridge Mountains, right? It, uh, get away to them. Now, some right now, and I get this, being a warm weather person, have gotten away to the beach. Some of y'all might be tuning in online that are members of this church, but are, uh, well, you know, you're, you don't like this cold. And so you've gone to the beach and got away from that. And I, and I, and I can get that, you know, I, I can understand, particularly in this wintertime cold that, you, you know, you want to go where uh, there's sea breezes and, uh, you know, nice white sand. Well, that's down on the Gulf Coast. But I mean, you know, the... It, Get away from it all. Where, where do you go to to get away? People get away to Disney. I can't imagine that in all the long lines. But folks who go there, they, they, they get away uh, to the Bahamas or uh, to Tahiti. Or, or they get away on some sort of cruise. They get away, you see. We, we try to get away from it all sometimes, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> We're joking that last week, and I, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, I made one of the key errors of being a pastor, never invite someone to preach that's better than you are, and last week we, we had that, and the tech team was joking, it's amazing how the mic didn't cut out for Dale, but it always does for you, and I, I blame it on my strong iron in my blood or something like that, so sorry guys, I don't have the phone on me, but we're getting a new mic. Anyways... Anyways, where do you get away from it all? 
Where do you go to? And there are some that try to get away from it all by getting away from God. And that brings us to our scripture text today in this third week of preaching about the God who knows us from Psalm 39. This is from the message edition of the Bible. And it's a a modern rendition of the text. And some of these words will be a little unfamiliar because Eugene Peterson, well, he he takes some liberties with with the original languages, but it's not hard to understand what he's saying. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? I climb to the sky, you are there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on the morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he's even seized me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in light. In fact, darkness isn't dark to you. And night and day, darkness and light, they're the same to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, the psalmist David proclaims that there's nowhere that he could go that he's going to be out of the sight of God and out of God's presence. If he decides to climb the highest mountain, he goes up uh, to top of Grandfather Mountain, guess what? God's there. If he goes down into the lowest valley, guess what? God is there. If he decides to take some wings, he gets up in an airplane. You know, sometimes folks get nervous on flying. Some people out there may not like to fly, but guess what? When you're in that airplane... God is there. And if you decide to jump down into the deepest levels of the sea, get into one of those deep diving submarines, guess what? God is even there. For as Psalm 139 says, there's no place that we can go that we can escape the presence of God. Nowhere, nowhere that we can go on this earth, places that we go and the things that we experience, that God isn't already there. That means in the cancer ward, God is there. That means those folks going to Guatemala this week, God's already there. That means if you are going to a new class in school for those who are starting semesters at ASU, God's already there. A new place of employment, God is already there. Think about anything that you do and that you go, God's already there. And that that future, that future that you are worried about, the future that may hold ill health or going to a nursing home, God is already there. The darkest place that you can think of, God's there. There probably aren't too many places darker on this earth than being in a prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War. Think about this. Most of the people that were captured were aviators. So you're flying along in an airplane, and here comes a missile and damages your plane. You have to eject quickly, float down into uh, a jungle where there are the enemy that wants nothing to do with you but maybe kill you and torture you and beat you, and then thrown into a place where we know that they tortured the prisoners. I happen to hear... On several occasions, these brave individuals speak about what they endured. And I I got to know one pretty well, a guy named Guy Gruders. And if you ever want to be inspired, 
uh, watch, uh, go on, on YouTube and watch the videos that he t- where he talks or see the video, oh my gosh, it'll warm your heart when he returns home to Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery uh, and his parents and his family are greeting him. Oh my, I mean, if you don't cry at that, you ain't got a tear ducts. I mean, it's just beautiful. And Guy describes, uh, he was flying in an F-100, a Ford Air, uh, Ford Air Observer, and his plane got shot down. I, he ejected, got injured as he landed, and got quickly captured and was in pain for the entire five and a half years that he was in a POW camp because they didn't really fix his broken leg. He talked about uh, being tortured, and the Vietnamese were very cunning in the way that they tortured somebody. They didn't uh, do things that would leave marks. They would use ropes to twist and contort their bodies. He talked about the uh, terrible living conditions, being alone in in the cell, eating uh, rats for food, and drinking dirty water, which left him with parasites for many years after he returned home. And the only way they could communicate with each other, they would tap on the wall with a code that they developed. As they would see one of their brothers being hauled off to to the room where they know they were going to be tortured, they would tap words of encouragement. But here's something fascinating that Guy Gruder said. He said, I've never been closer to God anywhere in my life than I was in that cell where I knew I was going to be tortured and beaten. Wow. Even the darkness is not dark to thee. I can't help the old King James, sorry. Even the darkness is not dark to thee. There is nowhere that we can go that God isn't already there on this earth. The highest mountain, lowest depth of the sea, the most brutal situation you might find yourself in, the scariest place that you might be heading towards. God's already there. And I could say amen and close a sermon. We all would be happy and celebrate, right? But one of the reasons why we're preaching this series on known is that we don't fully grasp and know the depths of God's love and God's, God's faithfulness to us. And one of the things that we do in our lives is that, well, the psalmist talks about, David talks about running from God's spirit, fleeing from God, being in a place where, where he could be maybe even safe from God, getting away from God, running away from God. And I would say that many people in our world, maybe even some of you all who are online or here in this room, are running from God. And when I think about someone that's run from God, I just can't help but think about the story of Jonah and the whale. You, you all know that story, right? Most of you all do. And I won't get into the whole retelling of it. But you remember how God called Jonah to use his gifts of preaching and prophecy His gifts of preaching and prophecy, go to speak to the people of Nineveh, people that God loved, and said, repent. And what did Jonah do? He went on a cruise, right? Yeah, he he went on a cruise. He got away from it all. He said, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to get away from God. I'm going to go on a cruise. And well, we know what happens. The storm comes. Uh, Jonah's thrown overboard, and he ends up in the, where? Y'all remember? In a, a belly of a whale belly of a whale, and he's taken down into the depths of the sea by that whale, many hundreds of feet below the surface of the Mediterranean. And in the belly of that whale, what does Jonah do? He prays, for even in the darkness of the belly 
of a whale, there is God. God beckons Jonah back to be who God intended him to be, even though he tried to run away from God. And there are so many, maybe even some of the sound of my voice, are trying to run from God. Run from that longing that's within them by covering it up with things that, well, some of them are pretty good things. But we, we run away from God. And we try to hide from God. Try to hide from this wondrous love that he pours into us. And some of us do things just like Jonah. We go on a cruise. You know, I, I'm trying to get away from it all. I'm trying to get away from this longing within me. I'm trying to get away from this fact that, you know, I, I'm overwhelmingly loved and I can't, I can't accept that. So we go to Cosmel. Cosmel may be too crowded, so we check out Aruba. Maybe we'll take a Rhine River cruise. You know, we may go to Alaska. Some folks have gone to Alaska. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with those things. Or we go and look at the ruins in Rome. We go to all sorts of places to get away from this longing that's within us, trying to cover it up with the experiences of life. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with taking a cruise. Nothing wrong with going to to see some of the beauty of this great earth or to go look at the ancient ruins of places like Rome or or in England. You know, I love that type stuff. But y'all, if the beauty of those places do not beckon us in experience of God, it's us running from God. For those things are like darkness if they do not show us the brightness of God's love for us. So there are some that say, well, you know, I, in order to, uh, order to be all that I need to be, I just need to be extremely busy. You know, I, I got to keep myself going all the time. Yes, some people, what, how they're doing, say, I'm so busy, I hardly have time to eat. My, my boss makes me work all so many hours. I got to be there all the time because I got to do well. And, and then my preacher's saying I got to get up real early in the morning to, to, to do my quick devotional. And then my personal trainer says I got to be at the gym at 530 in the morning. And then I've got to get the kids to tiddlywink practice where we've hired a tiddlywink coach because we're on the travel tiddlywink team. And we want that kid to be able to shoot that little tiddlywink into the cup better than anybody else. We got them running all over the place. And, and, and you know, it's just got so much going on because I, oh, I want to be so good at everything that I do. Well, that sounds like you're in the belly of a whale to me. Because you've covered over everything, this deep longing within ourselves for God by saying, you know, I've got to be successful. I've got to be so good. I've got to earn I've got to earn affirmation and praise and affection. And there's nothing wrong with success. But our success is darkness when compared to the brightness of of the experience of God in our lives. And if we cover over this deep longing within us for God, guess what? We're like in a belly of a whale. And there's some that try to escape in more sinister ways, a true darkness. It's seen in the form of a bottle or a syringe or a pill or in the bright life of something salacious on our computer screens. It's called an addiction. 
And some of these addictions may not be as dark as I just mentioned. They may be a, a closet full of clothes that still have their tags on them that we have got there and will never wear, or a garage full of stuff where we have so much new stuff that we can't park our cars because we got so much stuff. You know what I'm talking about. We try to cover over our need for God with stuff cover over the fact that we are truly beloved. And there's nothing wrong with having nice things, a nice house, nice car. But if they keep us from experiencing God, they're darkness. They're darkness. You know, we believe David wrote the psalm. I mean, that's what it says. And if David wrote the psalm, Though Eugene Peterson didn't describe it, but most of y'all are familiar with the term that if I go to the place where there are the dead, called Sheol, in some translations, you know, even there, you're there. And David may have felt like he was dead after the shame and betrayal taking another man's wife, Bathsheba, and then plotting to have this man killed. When he was encountered with it saying, you are the man, he may have felt like he was dead because he had betrayed his love, his God. It was like he was in the depths of death. There might be some that feel that way right now. Where you have betrayed who you are, and your longing for light. But even there, God is there. In the other translations we read, it talks about going to this shield, this place of the dead. And David is saying, even if I were dead, you're going to be there. That's a remarkable claim. But we make it sometimes too when we say the old apostles' creed. You know, we've, we've edited this line that's in more, some of the more ancient texts. It says, and he descended into hell. Some of y'all that grown, grown up Presbyterians, another tradition or a Catholic, you, y'all say that. It's based on 1 Peter 3.19 where it says, he, dis, he went down to release the captives. That time between when Jesus died and he rose from the dead. He went down to, to tell those who were dead about love. It's a showing of the depth of God's redeeming work in Christ. Even in death, David says, God's willing to go and claim us. See, there's nowhere, nowhere that we can go to try that, that we can escape God, even though we try. So why do we try? Well, Brennan Manning in his wonderful book, Abba's Child that Vern Collins uh, turned us on to, talks about this. It's maybe that we fear what God is going to demand of us that we run from God, that, that we're going to be sent to Guatemala, <laughs> or that, we're gonna, or that we are, are going to have to do all sorts of things, or that why in the world would I want to give my life over to someone like this who loves us so much and is going to cause me to do something and Manning says, we don't have to do anything. Just allow ourselves to be loved. Allow ourselves to be loved. 
And as we allow ourselves to be loved, we see that Jesus does something that only God can do, that he humbles himself enough to save us from ourselves and our trying to earn anything when it's all a gift given to us by God because we are God's beloved. We are his children. And there's nothing that we can do to change that truth. It's inalterable. Now some are saying, but God's going to ask me to do this. God's going to ask me to do that. Well, when we're in love, we'll do whatever our beloved asks us to do, right? But here, my friends, so many, maybe those with the, even in the sound of my voice, are hearing words of the father of lies, the author of cynicism and fear and doubt and mistrust, saying, you are not beloved. You're not worthy. And Jesus came to tell us that even though you try to run, I'm there wooing you back, trying to help you see the fact that no matter what, I'm going to pursue you, even to the depths of death. Wow. Wow. So what do we do? What, what, what should we, we do? Well, we should try to develop a spirit where we stand in the presence of God and experience the fact that we are loved. Psalm 46 says this, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And to be still and know that I'm God, if we believe 1 John 4, 18, it says this, God is love. So when we are stilling ourselves to experience this God and we quit running from him through our activities or through our travels or through whatever else it is, and when we still ourselves enough, we can experience this overwhelming sense of God's love for us that cannot be taken away. And so we have to develop within our own lives this, this stillness to quiet ourselves, to quit from running. And it's hard. Manning describes this in a story where this, a successful businessman is, is frustrated because he doesn't know God enough. And he, he's worried that his spiritual life isn't what it ought to be. And he goes to this holy man, and the holy man goes and grabs a, a basin, a pitcher of water, and he says this, he, uh, watch this water. And he pours it into the basin. And when he first pours it into the basin, the water is all turbulent and stirred up. And, and, you know, there's ripples in it. But over time, as the water begins to still itself, and becomes perfectly flat, the man can look into the basin and see his reflection. And the holy man says to him, that's the way it is with our lives with God. If we surround ourselves with activities and with other people, it's like those waves there in the water. We cannot see ourselves as we truly are. But when we let ourselves be calm like this water that has quit rippling in this basin, we can see ourselves as we truly are. Beloved, 
of God. Beloved of God. Now, you might ask yourselves, do do I really want to do this? I mean, people out in the world are going to say, why in the world do you want to let yourself be transformed by God and loved by God? You know, it's like uh, when you see a couple that is married and and you see the, maybe the the woman is all beautiful and good looking and she's married this buck tooth fella and they say, what in the world does she see in that guy? Why in the world did he do that or she do that? But as you get to know the couple more, you realize that this woman has this deep insecurity about herself. And this buck-toothed fellow with a cowlick makes her feel like she is loved more than anything in all the world. And some might question, why in the world would you want to surrender to God? I mean, he's going to ask so much of us. But as you get to know <laughs> yourself more and other people get to know you, you might ask God, God, why in the world do you want to love this guy? God does. God does. So we're going to practice this quieting of ourselves right now. And just take a deep breath in and quiet yourself and just say these words, God is here. Can you say that? God is here. I'm beloved. Imagine if you took time every day throughout the day. Maybe when you first sing, when you wake up, you set your feet on the floor. You know, God is here. Whether you're in a nice house or in a shack or in Guatemala or wherever you might be. And say, I'm beloved. Throughout the day. What difference would that make in the way you see yourself and thus see the world around you? For y'all, we live in, as I said last week at Crossroads, in an epidemic of people who are living in despair and in loneliness and self-loathing. It's an it's deaths of despair that we're reading about, of folks that look kind of like the fellow I look at in the mirror most mornings. Middle-aged white men taking their lives, overdosing on drugs, killing themselves with alcohol. And if you read the profiles of many of these, mainly men doing these mass shootings, you look at their backstories, and they are in deep despair. And they see no way out because they don't realize the depths of how much they're loved. That may be one of y'all. But know this, wherever you are, God is here and you're beloved. God is here and you're beloved. One of my heroes of the faith is a fellow named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, I imagine several of y'all have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I won't go into his uh, long story. There's a great biography by Eric McTaxis if you want to read about him. But just real quickly, so catch you up on him if you haven't heard of him. He was a German theologian and pastor who came to prominence in the late 1920s and early 30s in, in Germany. And we all know the history of what happened in Germany at that time. 
Hitler took power in 1933, right as Bonhoeffer's coming to prominence. And right away, Bonhoeffer spoke out against Hitler. He led what was called the Confessing Church, the church that would not bow down to Hitler, that would not become part of the Reichschurch. He, he founded a seminary in Finkelwald where they tried to train pastors who would stay true to Christ and not to Nazism. And the persecution on him came. And so uh, he was a great ac- academic as well. So he was invited to New York to be a professor. But soon after he got there, He felt the call of his people. He said, how can I stand with my people when they recover with them if I'm not with them in the greatest time of need? So he came back to Germany and all the chaos of Nazism and the war. He joined the resistance movement. And because of that, he was arrested, thrown in prison, and then later sent to a concentration camp. Where just nine days before the camp was liberated, He was executed by the direct orders of Hitler. During his time in captivity, he wrote letters and writings and poems and stories that were smuggled out of the various prisons he was in by sympathetic guards because he was very pastoral uh, to those guards. A lot of them didn't want to be where they were. And one of his most famous writings is this poem called, Who Am I?, written two months before he was executed. And in it, Bonhoeffer details the struggle that's within him, trying to maintain this facade of having it all together and wondering, wondering who he truly is. Maybe these words touch you. They do me. Who am I? They often tell me I would step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I would talk to my warders freely and friendly and clearly, as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I would bear the days of misfortune, equitably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to Am I then all that which other men tell me of? Or am I only what I know of myself? Restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressed against my throat. Yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness. Trembling in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance. Weary and empty at praying and thinking and making faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others and before myself, a contemptibly woe-begone weakling? Or is there something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from a victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Bonhoeffer, in the midst of his struggle, was putting on a pretense for others, but within himself was this great raging of wondering, where is God in all this? Who is God in all this? 
And all he could do was fall back on the fact that he was God's. And so are you. So friends, however you're running and however you're trying to escape from this overwhelming and never failing love of God, God is beckoning you to be still before him, to claim the fact that you can't outrun him. His love surrounds you. It's always there. Soak in the bubble bath of his graciousness and love for you. Let it surround you. Calm your troubled spirit and go out and live in the light of that love always. And maybe because you have experienced that love, others are going to know it too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.